0: Transported. The October. Strange and twisted tales released and recorded in October only. Tonight, two different tales, each involving someone who finds himself... Transported. First, Protected Left, and then, Prodigy. Our first story for the evening, Protected Left. Steve, heading home from work, pulled up to a Protected Left. It had been a hard day, and Steve was eager to get home. There were four cars ahead of him in this lane, and the green arrow glowed fervently in the lowering sun. Yes, said Steve. God, I love protected lefts. Thank you, Jesus. The ball card of Jesus Christ of Nazareth smiled at him from the clip on his visor. Now come on, guys, Steve chanted. Let's get through this together. Very, very slowly, the first car began to creak left. Oh my god, Steve said. Come on, don't do this! It was just barely rumbling across the intersection as Steve actually heard the second car start his engine. Jesus Christ, Steve shouted, then apologized. He honked while the first car kept moving so slow that Steve could make out exact details of every light distorted on the car's coating, stretching and yawning over the glimmering finish. Pick it fucking up, he yelled. The second car with a sticker that said, I'm in no hurry, warily began to motor while Steve pounded into his horn. Guys, we're gonna miss the fucking cycle! His eyes bulging in bloodshot, wrapped toward the third driver with a Victorian sleeping cap and a mask over his eyes, snoring as the car gradually angled forward. Ah! This isn't the carousel of progress, oh my god! Steve pounded the windshield, screamed through the sunroof, but then he stopped. When he saw what was at his nine o'clock the first car was blissfully pulling now into a cache of revelers in purple jesters caps along the sidewalk each hat had a port pointing green arrow sewn on its felt what steve looked nervously at the traffic light on the verge of turning yellow he looked then back at the area where a Harlequin was handing the first car's passenger seat a bunch of balloons along with an ice cream cone, while another reveler was firing a hand cannon of hundred dollar bills into the trunk of the second car. Ah. Steve looked. The protected left was now yellow! The third car was still just barely going! Come on, that looks so cool! Steve honked. Honk, honk, honk! I wanna go! One of the cars at the corner was now being loaded onto a ferris wheel with jeep-sized platforms. Yeah! The kids in back said. Wee-hee-hee! Steve horsed. Oh my God, Jesus, I want to go on a Ferris wheel. Attention. A jester with a megaphone was shouting. The protected left party will be ending in 20 seconds. No! 20, 19. Come the fuck on. Honk, honk, honk. The fourth car's driver had gotten out to manually push his Ford forward. Woo, he wiped his brow. This baby's heavy. 12, 11. Hurry up now, I want to go to that party, come on! Steve was gargling. Six. Five, please, 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 come on, just, four, three, Jesus, the arrow's still yellow, I can go if you just, and done. The jester put the megaphone down, and the arrow turned red, as Steve slammed his brow into the steering. The last guy pushed his car in just in time, and was greeted with a trip down the bouncy slide. Aw, man. Steve lifted his head, practically in hysterics. Never in my life can I ever, just once, then he saw something. Immediately, the sun went behind a cloud, as the weather skewed heavy. The cars to his right began to drive through while the jesters glowed, right at the nose. Steve gaped. His pants shook. His ankles cramped. His mother fainted. Mom, wake up! He shook her unconscious frame, collapsed on the back, when he heard a phaser-filtered quail. He wrenched forward. Whoa! Now all the jesters' noses were glowing bright blue. The Ferris wheel had stopped. Some of the passengers in the cars were panning their sights, confused. The green arrows on the jester's caps glowed too, and then when they all joined hands, the lights swelled and the cars were gone. Vanished. The jesters now all stood staring directly at Steve. On the traffic light, the arrow went green. Um, Steve thought about it for a minute. Okay, never mind! He put his car into reverse, but a jester sucked his nostrils closed, so the stick went to D. Oh my god, oh my god, okay, I was wrong. Um, Mom, it's okay, we're going to get out of this. He turned around to see the back door open with his mother bolting down the curb. Oh, God damn it! He tried unbuckling his seatbelt, but with a blue glow, it stuck hard in place. The locks clamped. I actually don't think I want to go to the party. He pounded on the window, screamed through the sunroof. With another pressing of the nostrils, the foremost jester sniffed twice upward, and Steve's car began to roll forward. No, no, no. I changed my mind. Can't I just go into a roundabout? The car crept forward, turning. Steve closed his eyes, snaring the hems of his socks. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. Oh my god, I'm gonna die. Whirp. Steve winked an eye open. His window was sluicing down. A jester poked his nose through the gap and handed Steve an alumined blue coronet with a green arrow in the gem. What? They placed it on his head. Then they handed him a piece of paper. What what's this? As about fifteen cars honked at them, Steve read their missive. Congratulations! You are the newest chief of our race. We have selected you because you were protected, left behind. All hail! Steve initialed the blank and smiled as his car ascended to the sky, the jesters sniffing their noses in unison as they encircled him, hands linked. I... I'm king! I have good luck after all! Yippee! Steve grinned and gawked as his landolette was brought to a great cosmic whirl, an anfractuosity of glowing stars and jingling constellations shaped like fool's caps. We are taking you to our homeland, said a jester. A paradise. Steve put a hand on his chest. There's just a bit of a weight. The hand dropped. He looked at the line of 70,000 cars ahead of him, very slowly turning left at a great green arrow hovering in the ether. Steve frowned. He honked his horn. Come on, let's go! They were still moving gradually. Getting through this lane would probably take about 5,000 years. Steve crimped the piece of paper. Hurry up! Honk, honk, honk. Come on, I want to get into paradise! Honk, honk, honk. Steve grit his teeth and unrolled his window. He breathed in. Hurry! And now for our final story for the night. Prodigy. latterman was enraged he had been disrespected again by his german professor schlops when he'd come into class that day with full intent of putting on a maestro performance for his peers who were finally learning to love him and schlops had simply interrupted with jim that's enough it had sent the boy into a tailspin he was on the brink this cannot stand, he said to Mira. the absolute nerve, no, the absolute slime of that man, to interrupt me again when I am only trying to present his material in a way that anyone might care about. He choked the neck of a pop bottle. You'd think he'd learn to be grateful. And Sie, bitte? Oh, yeah, right. You barely know English, Latterman clenched his teeth, even though Germany took NATO money. He stormed off in a fit. This was turning out to be the worst year abroad of his entire life, even if the only. It had all been a mistake. The applying for the scholarship, the whining when told he'd been applying for the scholarship late, the refusing to come out of his room until parents ponied up the dough from the college fund they controlled, having to hear the whole, you're on your own after this speech, and being warned that he'd now have to find his own way to pay for the two years remaining of school. Big whoop. Latterman knew he'd be famous by then. But now, he wasn't totally sure this was the most pleasant path to fame he could have picked. Going to a country he didn't like in order to immerse himself in a language he hated, and to use this contrast, what he thought of as the emotional frisson, as the backbone of his groundbreaking performance art, just to make his mark and impress the fellow expats, was overall turning out to be a hard bargain. The one upside had been the discovery of the rock, with those obvious benefits, all else, bunk. For instance, this latest abject offence from Schlops. The assignment had involved some dumb and utterly painstaking collation of research in both German and English about the current energy policies of the EU's parliament. Latterman was against all sorts of bureaucracy and anything that had the whiff of globalist on it, but he clambered on, nevertheless, doing five-minute bursts of Google searches and querying random passersby from the couch of the English language library. This was a large and imposing heap of shelves, which Latterman never actually entered. He much preferred to have laptop and scuba mask, something he thought of as wild and provocative, near him on the couch in the anteroom. He took this spot for hours at a time, casting piercing, provocative glances to anyone who wandered by. It was on the day the assignment was due, hours before class, that Latterman formed his ingenious scheme. The classrooms were what he considered to be supreme prosenia for his fets. The prevailing oppressive structure of learning, pointless bureaucracy, gave him the perfect frisson for his earth-shattering outbursts. Latterman knew he needed these rooms in an odd way. He had to have something he was pushing against, attention. And this is where the flame emerged from. The official project terms were that students in pairs, though Latterman had opted to work alone, were to present in reverse alphabetical order as members of the parliament, stating the case of some assigned country's stance on carbon control. Latterman had got Slovenia. It was his brilliant idea to imbue the country with true personality. He was going to give it pizzazz. Latterman prepared a complicated and highly intense sort of stand-up routine, where with sunglasses and a backwards cap, he would show them all what a bro and total laid-back dude Slovenia could really be. This was problematic for a few reasons. For one, the assignment wasn't to be Slovenia. It was to represent a specific type of diplomat for a particular and dry subject matter. One which, in truth, Laderman believed to be treated with too much severity. Second, he was doing this already on top of working alone, which nobody else had opted for. The odd number of students meant Schlops allowed one group of three, but Laderman refused. And so, when it was his turn to present, and after everyone else had simply read out paragraphs in German while seated at the horseshoe conference table, Latterman leapt over the desk, stumbling merely for a second and getting his belt only briefly caught on the edge to show the beginnings of his ass, before he snapped on his costume to sigh, "'Sup, everybody. I'm your new Wizard of Oz.'" And that was when it happened. Schlops interrupted with a curt, "'Jim, that's enough,' and told him to simply read whatever he'd written." From the assigned seat. The sun shone. Latterman looked at his professor, round and short, with a bright cable-knit sweater enfolding his simple importance, and felt as if schlops were taking all the heat from without and trapping it round his body in the dull, ill-used little room, making the air so leaden that the young man felt he almost could not breathe. After a moment, he walked all the way round, the long way, to his chair and started reading aloud the three and a half bullet points of fact he'd actually acquired. The trapped heat pushed in atop Latterman's eyes, frantically darting downward. It was a new and unpleasant feeling that, as Latterman doled out bad German in a despondent monotone, he didn't find particularly reassuring. Once finished, Schlops in his accented English, said, All right, and then returned to German to ask the pair for Slovakia, Amy and Emily, to take up their turn. When the light changed and end of class came, Latterman by instinct went to his main and admittedly only friend Mira to rage. Mira, a man of 22, a few years older than Latterman, always took up the same spot in the lobby, otherwise perennially bare, of their dormitory. Mira was on his Dell laptop, studying notes for classes and outreaches relating to hydrologia or something boring like that. Latterman raved on. And when all I wanted to do was give my fellow Americans something to love and laugh at, I could travel back in time to ancient Rome and become emperor and still the Colosseum wouldn't soothe my ravished being. Latterman pursed his lips and felt he'd gone too far. He stood there a beat, swallowed cherry soda. Don't panic. Well, anyway... Mira continued to stare at his screen, typing, sweating over piles of different notes he kept in each of his seven breast pockets, pulling them out and then stuffing them back in with generous strength. Mira himself never said anything, in addition to the language barrier besides. Subsequently, Latterman did all the talking. This was a driving force of their friendship. You'd think he'd learn to be grateful, the young man said eventually. And then, today, of all days, Mira did say something to his friend, Latterman. He looked up, blinked twice, one hand groping deep in his fifth from the right breast pocket, and said, And Sie?" bitte? German for, excuse me, what? And Latterman thus did the infuriated, dramatic exit. He was walking now to the river. Afternoon had waned. His little hideaway was one of the only places he'd found for peace in this stupid little pit hole. Blocks away from a bakery, Latterman stopped by the wide stream flowing under a tunnel that had pictures of Edward Snowden and anarchist A's plastered all around it. He sat on the curb over the bank, dug the rock from its hiding spot, careful not to touch any surface. Weeks ago, downriver, he'd been pacing back and forth in a spinny. At one point in his paces, Latterman had stumbled, and down at his feet had lain a stoat. He'd looked close to examine. Somehow its stomach had burst. Pink flesh had smeared across the knots of plastic letal bags, bulging out of the poor animal's scut. After staring at this some while, Latterman had a sudden urge to reach out a hand and start caressing the bags the viscera was oily and had already cooled. Gradually, though, he felt something hard beneath, and seeing his finger had made a dimple in the IDL of Lidl, he tore it open, and from the bag, from inside the stoat, pulled out a rock. Even with the layer of plastic enfolding the stone, he could see it gleamed in his hand. Now, weeks later, Latterman stared at the rock with the Latin handwriting and wondered if it were time. Now could be the moment to do his great act. The disturbing question, was it real? Latterman, the product of an overindulgent yet under-equipped home life, a weabes of friends and enemies where such boundaries never quite became clear, as well as an ill-advised high school excursion in and out of bars filled with quickly impressed older grown-ups, who were stunned as Latterman oozed such menace and grandeur while being so obviously young and weak, was just at the age where he could still almost believe that maybe it was real. He wanted it to be real. The river ran. Okay, Air Professor Schlops, I'm just wondering if we could talk about the research I want to carry out for my next assignment. He was speaking to him in class after the session had ended, He had skipped the lecture and only come in after everyone but the teacher had vacated. Of course we can, said Schlops, who didn't look up. The day before, by the river, staring at the rock with Latin runes, a perfect idea for revenge had crept into the bounds of Latterman's little heart, which had been rather slowly dissolving like tissue paper in water. No, he had to admit it wasn't the perfect idea, but the most provocative one. In triumph, he'd stood on a cliff and crooned the village soothsayer until someone asked him to stop. Well, I was thinking, what if for this project I did a report on German self-esteem? He leaned in. Hmm? Self-esteem? Schlops finally ceased marking the write-up. He clasped his hands together, still in the same red cable knit from yesterday. What's the matter with self-esteem? I could probably find a very interesting way to relate it to politics, the man's fingers dandled over the desk. Yes? The instructor seemed droll. Well, just think about it, dear air, Professor Schlops! He pinched his tongue, coming out a little aggressive here. Ahem. Laderman cleared his throat. Compare psychological surveys of Germans and how they rate themselves and see how that relates to their, oh, I don't know, their policy decisions when stacked up next to, mm, perhaps, Americans, maybe? His nails bit into the wood. Perhaps because we actually have access to firearms and Germans, you know, don't? Ah, I see, said Schlops. But Americans aren't in the European Union, Jim. He narrowed his eyes. It's Latterman. eh, Latterman. He looked up at the clock on the wall. If you want to study it, you are welcome to do so. But I can't see that I'm going to control it. I'm sorry. I'm not going to correct it, Jim. He leaned back. I wouldn't have time to grade it. Oh, what? Latterman stood. Not up to the task. Don't think as high of yourself as a good, strong-blooded American might. An American like me, Latterman plucked the rock from his pocket and, casting it on the table with a cloth, seized Professor Schlops's wrist and forced it on the stone surface the same time as his own vibrating palm. They touched the inscription in unison, and instantly they stood in a market hung with wood shacks and far-off hills, underpinning a grand suggestion of an architrave. It worked! It worked! Latterman jumped up and down for joy as Schlops stood pale there was a man bathing himself near a filthy Etruscan font. Yes! I knew that I had the confidence! Laderman thrust the rock under Schlops's nose, and the German's eyes pivoted down to the crude Latin inscription etched in. Translated, it said, He who thinks himself the highest can touch this. Go live in the seat and time of Antoninus Pius. All I had to do was get you to touch it at the same time, and you came back with me! He shoved it in his coat pocket, using a rag all the while. Don't want to touch it again, or it'll send me back to the present, probably. But yes, ha! Laderman knocked Schlops in the chest, who, face froze in shock, as well as some new, mysterious object bulging in his own pocket, stumbled off kilter. His head craned at plebeians, cutting heads of poultry and slamming eels down hard among clinking wine urns on a crude, sun-bleached slab. I never, I never, continued Latterman. Why, I'll admit it, I never quite had the courage to touch the stone and see if that magic was real, but yes, finding this rock turned out to be the best thing that ever happened. Latterman was red, then, checking himself, reeled it in and swung to the imperious stage demeanor. Ahem, Professor, I'll confess it took a lot of Google Translate to uncover that inscription, but I trust your Latin is up to snuff? Schlops continued to gape, neck warbled as he stood fixed to the ground. His head turned toward a pair of scab-covered fiends, offering a curious glare. Pretty interesting, wouldn't you say, Mr. Teacher Man? His head moved in a frenetic corkscrew as it zeroed in on Schlopps's nose. Hmm? For the first time, the instructor seemed to register Latterman's presence. Jim? The subtle diamond interweavings of his sweater contracted, expanded. "'What is this you have done?' "'Ha-ha-ha-ha-ha!' <laughs> he laughed casually, while unbeknownst to him, two Wainwrights and a man with a pilum spear gathered in the background. "'Perhaps now is the time you realize Latterman is not to be ignored!' "'Jim, don't you see? I've brought you to Ancient Rome, and you'd better stick with me if you wish to avoid missing out on its full benefits!' He waggled the eyebrows lasciviously, gesturing toward a brothel where a woman with goiters coughed on a man's head. It's full benefits. Schlops's eyes darted in tight confine about him. Perhaps it would be wise to simply live through it, Jim. Yada, yada, yada. So anyway, the plan is this. And Latterman strode down a byway as Schlops saw a man with a dagger gently flow the blade out at the vacated air that Latterman had abandoned. Come with me, Latterman said. Schlops removed his sweater and fled. Are you there, professor? He turned, and Schlops was gone. Instead, at least eight people were standing in the familiar horseshoe formation, gawking at the boy. At least three had sharp, indented knives. Schlops, you're perform- Oh, what? He surveyed the twelve onlookers. Yes, vas he said in the wrong language. Ah, I see. You're amazed by my strange vestments. Suddenly, Latterman's creeping confusion turned to fear, but then excitement. Hey, if he was honest with himself, this was beginning to look like a crowd. Ah, yes, I see. An excellent chance to tantalize and amaze you. He held up an empty hand. Oh, I thought I brought my cell phone with me. Uh He stared at the 30 people, gawking. Oh, I know. I don't know if you'll get all the references, but he donned the sunglasses. Hey, you might not have heard of me yet, but I'm a little country called Slovenia. He lowered the shades, Slav for short. After what seemed to Latterman like a big misunderstanding, crude Philistinism clashing with modern prowess, Two of the peasants seized him and soon he was languishing with his clothes gone, replaced by a dirty tunic, in a horse stable adjacent to the woman with goiters. Outrageous! He screamed, wiping blood trickling from the variety of cuts he'd received. Ow! Damn! It's a sham! He spewed. To think this is from the golden age before globalists and bureaucrats tried to run the whole world! I'm at the height of Western culture! He shrieked as a bit of horse poop fell from a lintel. Fucking gross! Oh. He realized something. Schlopps will have to come back. He'll see. He'll need me if he wants to enjoy himself here. Despite these temporary setbacks, Laderman had to admit he was enjoying himself already. Even though he hadn't seen evidence of it, surely the Romans, perhaps especially upper echelons, were more ennobled from all that culture, like the Colosseum or whatever it was, not yet degraded by TV or manga. Must be nice. Besides, it was all quite novel. It broke him from the rut. He even noticed that for whatever reason the weather felt more temperate and less stifling in this era. Well then, said Latterman, reclining next to some dead eels, just gotta wait for schlops to come back and then I can continue my performance and make my demands. The prediction came true. The gate opened, and standing there was none other than Professor Schlops. Schlopps! Trying to heave upright and putting a hand over his infected shoulder, Latterman had bags under his eyes. Come crawling back for more? It had been many hours. I guess I'll let you have a go at the sensual pleasures of antiquity, he said, pointing toward the woman's hacking. If you start to listen up. Ready to give in? Not exactly. The instructor squatted. No? Latterman stared at the man. He noticed a few things that were off. Schlops was dressed differently. He had on something akin to a robe that appeared to be limbed with gold. Ornate jewels crowned his bald tonsure. What is this? said Latterman. Behind Schlops stood several centurions with spears and grim, stone-like faces. It appears that this has come in handy, said the professor, and he pulled out a gun. Latterman screamed and scrambled backward, crashing a broomstick. No, no, don't worry. Here. He turned the gun round, and then, before Latterman knew what was happening, pressed the young man's finger gently against the trigger, and nothing happened. You'll see, Schlops went on, taking the gun off Latterman's hand and pointing it in the air. No one can fire it but myself. A bang boomed and a piece of rafter flaked to the spot between Latterman's knees. This was tested rather early with the Imperial Guard, and it seems to have no limit of bullets when in my own hands. Schlopps tucked the gun into a pocket of his robe. "'So I am Emperor,' he sighed, sounding a little bored. Latterman coughed. Schlopps, still squatting, said, "'Your plan did not quite work out, Jim. Sorry. This gun simply appeared in my pocket after you sent me here, and I had to find a way to survive. This would not bring me back.' Casually he tossed Latterman the rock, and after flinching when it landed in his bare hand— Latterman felt an immense load of dread when he saw that nothing happened, and he was still here in the stable. Oh no. Yes, yes. Schlops nodded, already seeming distraught. I'm not sure I'd want to go back, though. I can't say you would either, but here is a bite, he said, handing the young man a cooked drumstick. And I shall have them leave you alone. You can do what you'd like here, and I won't control it. Latterman blinked. Or correct it. From the German, I mix this up but I as well won't help. He readied himself to stand as the guards spoke to each other in Latin. Schlops, smiling placidly, narrowed his eyes at Latterman, whose jaw hung hard behind the moldy bone. The man cleared his throat. throat) I think that stone worked because I was the one with the most self-belief, Jim. Surprisingly not to you, Schlops yawned. And it was I who dragged you along, I suppose though at your behest, did not appreciate it. Perhaps also why I was granted this gun, yes? Your scheme did not pan out. He enunciated each word precisely, not with malice, but with the air of someone simply trying to recreate a language in the abstract. His eyes fell back to Latterman. Nineteen and already a failure? He stood. You are a prodigy. Schlopps strolled out of the passage until... How do I get back? Schlopps turned and shrugged. I do not know. Perhaps you could try like your Wizard of Oz, yes? The Emperor and his guard exited, and soon Latterman was shooed off, left to himself under a rash of columns. He sat. For a while the young man meditated, until his gaze turned to an extraordinary, apocalyptic vision. He saw Schlops smiling and pointing several of his men at Latterman until time compressed and the soldiers plummeted iron pila into Latterman's head, caking the brain matter onto the rostra. Schlops blew his nose. The dropped poultry leg rolled lazily off from the smattering of bone trailing to Latterman's perfectly halved shin. The sun shone, and like that, as surely the poets would agree, Latterman was an artist. He went over it again and again, the soldiers, the cries of pain, the breathtaking and hateful goring of his young skull, the man dressed in black, coming on a stage before rings of mourners, saying with bitter irony, and like that, as surely the poets would agree, he raises an eyebrow, Latterman was an artist. But soon the young man in Rome had to stop this admittedly self-pitying vagary, as he continued to be simply ignored, chewing his bird leg on a disused pillar under some dust. The people didn't see him. Ladiman realized he wasn't even interesting enough to be brutally stabbed. He sighed, looked west. It didn't seem there was much left for him here. He thought about Schlopp's advice and decided he might as well try it. Standing, he slowly tapped the heels together once, twice, and said there's no place like home, and then found it was true, because he returned. To be precise, back to the classroom in Europe, in his own time, staring at the clock on the wall. He looked down at his hand and saw the rock, and said, hmm. This dissolved immediately into an anthill of pebbles. Ah... With various wounds and infections underneath the filthy sack he'd been given in Rome, Latterman dashed to the dorm, thanking himself that he never, ever bothered to lock his door. Mirrod even been able to let him into the lobby after screaming. Once Latterman had showered and changed and put band-aids on, he found himself walking to a student bar near campus and sat down and ordered a drink and stared at the wall. The colors grayed. Hey, Jim. He glanced. There was a young woman with a semi-familiar face, but he couldn't place her. Amy, said Amy, someone who had been in the study abroad group with Latterman for more than 28 weeks. Oh, he- hello, he said. She set down the drink. Apparently Amy worked here. Schlopps was kind of weird today, huh? Latterman tensed, so the current timeline had not been altered. Schlops had simply been here among them one day and quickly would be found to have vanished in time the next. Sorry, what was that? He said. Well, I don't know. Amy took the green tray and folded it under an arm. Just seems like he was a bit of a jerk to you, I guess. Latterman took a sip and nodded slow. He noticed the shade of his knuckles turning white and his hands starting to grow red. He felt a powerful force ebbing out of him. Suddenly, Latterman jumped, knocking the drink. His vision cleared. What? Amy cringed, staring at the spilled bourbon. I- How dare you! He roared. He was amazed at himself. Don't you ever talk that way about Air Professor Schlops again! He stormed off, leaving the unpaid drink behind him, fuming, steaming, galloping out into the cool night air. Latterman, after several minutes, stopped. The cuts under his band-aids itched, and he stayed stuck near an awning. What had just happened? This was admittedly very strange. Why was he, James Fenwick Latterman, so defensive of this professor who'd both humiliated him and brought down his delusion of delusions of grandeur, lambasting him like a spit roast through time in the twenty-first and second centuries? Then, with a flicker of something permanently closing in his brain, he saw it. Latterman found the necessary mechanics to smile while a breeze wafted and some miserable Turk begged to anyone for change. If this was to be his life, a young upstart at the process of failing, he should surely enjoy the flame, which would result. It was exactly what he'd been looking for, don't you see? The tension. It'd come to Latterman naturally, he saw, just by trying to live every day. Wasn't it obvious he got a thrill out of the pain and horror of schlops dressing him down in Rome, of being a failure to teachers, coaches, family, friends, and enemies? Someday, maybe even, he blushed with hope. Future wives? Latterman saw with another flame that the navel-gazing had caused him to miss the night's final bus. He grinned wide. So this was it. He had found the Frizon. The October is written by Trash Clapton and performed by me, Jason Everett. Our logo was designed by Bridget Handcheck. The theme song is Octobarian by 8 equals 10. Special thanks to Brooke for her feedback on Prodigy. Tune in next time. Until then, stay undecimated.